the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. This is the life of Job. So the book of Job is going to tackle the overarching question that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks, which is, why do people suffer? Now, notice I didn't say, why do bad things happen to good people? That's the way a lot of people frame that question, and even books have been written with that title. But that really is an erroneous statement. Why do bad things happen to good people? First of all, bad things happen to all types of people. And secondly, in its strictest definition, there's nobody good except God. All right? This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Job. Have you ever asked yourself why people suffer? Today, Pastor Gary will be starting his new teaching series through the book of Job. And all throughout this book, we will see what the Bible has to say about suffering. One popular question that's commonly asked is why did good people suffer? The answer to this question is that there is no such thing as a good person. We live in a fallen world that's riddled in sin, and we suffer the effects of sin's destruction in nature as well as because of our own sinful behaviors. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Job chapter 1 for part 1 of today's message titled, Satan and Suffering. While you are finding your place there. Let me give a, somewhat of a lengthy introduction to the book of Job. This is a very unique and interesting and dynamic book, and so bear with me a little bit as I just kind of frame the background and the context here. The book of Job centers around the tragic but resilient life of one man after whom this book is named, Job. Uh, we do not know exactly when Job lived, but we can guess because there are no things Jewish mentioned. There's no reference to the Israelites. Job is not an Israelite. He's not a Jew. There's no mention of the law. There's no mention of the temple. There's no mention of the priests. There's no mention of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There is a reference to the flood in chapter 22:16. So when you put all that together, it, it means that Job probably lived just after the flood, but before Abraham, because all things Jewish started with Abraham and his seed. So it precedes Abraham, he, uh, Job does. It's easy to think of the timeline of human history as the Bible presents it in three 2,000-year sections. From Adam to Abraham is roughly 2,000 years, and from Abraham to Jesus is roughly 2,000 years, and then from Jesus to us today is roughly 2,000 years. 
for the first 2,000 years of human history, there, there was no Jewish race. That didn't come until Abraham. And so Job more than likely lived during that first 2,000-year period, sometime just after the flood, but before Abraham. That said, God is known and revealed throughout the book of Job. Job is a worshiper of God. God even speaks in the book of Job. So he is ever-present throughout this book, and it is a very interesting and dynamic book. We also need to know that in light of the time period, it makes Job the oldest book of the Bible. It is considered the oldest book of the Bible because of the time in which it was written. Now, even though the book of Genesis goes back further in terms of the topics of creation and the flood, Moses was the one inspired by God to write the first five books of the Bible, and Moses lived about 1450 B.C., but it is believed that Job lived 2000 B.C., so Whether he wrote this or not, we don't know. The writer is unknown, but it is considered to be the oldest book of the Bible. The story takes place in the land of Uz. Now, we don't really know where Uz was, okay? But there was no yellow brick road. That is Oz. This is Uz. In chapter 1, we are given four words that describe the character and integrity of Job. He is referred to as blameless. King James Version says perfect. That doesn't mean he was without sin. It means that he had a pure heart. He was upright, or literally he was straight. There was nothing crooked about him. And he feared God and he shunned evil. In the opening chapter, we also learn some things about his personal life. That he was married, that he had ten children, seven boys and three girls, and that he was wealthy. And back in that day, wealth was not measured in terms of silver or gold necessarily, but more so in terms of livestock. And he had plenty of it and servants to boot. His name in Hebrew is pronounced Eov. Eov in Hebrew means persecuted one. And Job will live up to his name. Because this man is going to go through some incredible suffering and trials and difficulties and discouragement that it is almost unimaginable how much one person could possibly endure. But this is the life of Job. So the book of Job is going to tackle the overarching question that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks, which is, why do people suffer? Now, notice I didn't say, why do bad things happen to good people? That's the way a lot of people frame that question, and even books have been written with that title. But that really is an erroneous statement. Why do bad things happen to good people? First of all, bad things happen to all types of people. And secondly, in its strictest definition, there's nobody good except God. All right? So to say, why do bad things happen to good people? Bad things happen to all types of people, and there's no one good except God. We're all sinners. We're all lost. We all need a Savior, and that's Jesus. Okay? But nevertheless, people suffer in this world. And why do people suffer? And why is there suffering in this world? Why does God allow this? So we'll be looking at that in the course of our study over the next few weeks. But as we move forward, including today, we're going to look at four subtopics underneath this overarching question. And here's the first one we're going to look at today, Satan and suffering. We're going to ask, what role, if any, does Satan play in my suffering? Then in the weeks that follow, we're going to be looking at friends and suffering. How can one be a true friend to someone who is suffering? Then we're going to look at God and suffering. And the age-old question, where is God in the midst of my suffering? And then finally, we're going to look at perspective and suffering. How can I get through my suffering? Now, some of you might be here today and you would say, well, that's jolly well and good, but I'm not suffering. So, okay, fine. Then look for someone who is. You got a ministry now. 
All right, pay attention to the Bible study because it's going to help you minister to somebody who is. And by the way, if you happen to be in a season right now where you're not really suffering, that's wonderful, and I don't wish it upon you, but get ready because life has a lot of twists and turns that are unpredictable, and you just might find yourself in need of this Bible study at some point in your life. So tuck it away now, store it up now, like a squirrel who gathers acorns in the fall, because you just might need this Bible study in the winter time of your life. This is the book of Job. I'm going to read chapter 1. It's only 22 verses, but I'm going to read all of it so we can get the full context of the opening chapter. So here we go, chapter 1, verse 1. In the land of Oz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, Perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch, your out, stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head, and then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. This book opens up, if you will, with two movie screens in the same theater. Chapter 1 gives us the view of two things, two scenes. 
On the first movie screen, it is uh, related to events playing out on earth, and it has to do with the man, Job, and his family. And they are enjoying life, and life is going good, and everything is wonderful. The second movie screen in the same theater, in chapter 1 here, is also related to events, but not events on earth. The second movie screen is related to events in heaven. And chapter 1 pulls back the veil of things happening in heaven, and we're able to see that there's a conversation that God is having with his angels, and it concerns movie screen number 1. It concerns Job and his family and what is transpiring on earth. Things in heaven being discussed about things on earth. Things on earth have no idea about things that are being discussed in heaven. Two different scenes playing before us here in chapter 1. And as you read chapter 1, it might generate two questions that are valid questions to ask. And the first question is, when you, when you read, as, you, as we just did chapter 1, you might wonder, what in the world is Satan doing in heaven? Who gave him access to heaven? I thought he was kicked out of heaven. Why is he in heaven? And the second question that chapter 1 might leave you wondering is, and why in the world does it seem that God offered up Job on a platter to Satan in the scene of chapter 1? So we're going to be looking at those and answering those questions. But first, today is going to be the first topic of four over the next couple of weeks, which is Satan and suffering. What role, if any, does Satan play in our suffering? Now, to, to understand that answer, we have to go back and we have to examine what is happening in this story and understand the perspective and the events and the scene. So, again, scene number one, the movie screen number one, Job is enjoying life. Everything is going wonderfully. Things are, you know, incredibly great, and they're just living in the lap of luxury. It tells us here in chapter one that Job's uh, children are older. He's got ten kids, seven sons, and, and three daughters, and that the oldest son is throwing a dinner party. They would do this on occasion where the sons would just take turns trading off their homes as a, as a place where they would have dinner parties. And the sons were always good about inviting their sisters. And so they would come over and have these dinner parties and they were drinking wine here. And so it tells us that the kids are of age and that they're Episcopalian. Because <laughs> they were drinking wine. The, the Baptists wouldn't be doing that, friends, all right? Only the Wiscopalians. But anyway... And so, and so here they are, here they are, and, uh, and life is good, all right? But things are going to dramatically change, and Job, Job has no idea what is coming. He has no idea. We have the advantage of having this view 30,000 feet in the air, and we can see and understand all these things that are transpiring, but not Job. He's totally unaware of what is about to happen. Well, meanwhile, in heaven, in this other scene, God is having staff meeting with his angels, and they come before him, they present themselves to him, and among the angels comes Satan. Now, Satan in Hebrew is spelled that way, pronounced Satan, and that word means accuser. Satan is an accuser. In fact, he is known by various names and titles throughout the Bible, and here's just a short list, okay? And I'll probably go through the list quicker than you can write him down. But he's known as Lucifer in Isaiah 14, King James Version. He's known as the devil in Matthew 4 and many other places. He's known as the accuser of the brothers in Revelation 12. The god of this age, small g, in 2 Corinthians 4. He's known as the ruler of the kingdom of the air in Ephesians 2. The dragon in Revelation 12. The serpent in Genesis 3. And the prince of this world in John 12. 
Now, just to make sure we're all on the same page, because I don't want to assume, nor do I know where everybody is in terms of your biblical knowledge and understanding. So for those of you who already know this, you know this will be repetitive. But for those of you who are new and unfamiliar with the Bible, let me just help you understand what we're talking about here. Satan, or the devil, or the accuser, whatever you want to call him, was originally created, the Bible tells us, as a guardian cherub which means he was originally created as an angel. And in fact, the scripture teaches that he was created as one of the highest rank, if not the highest ranking in the order of angels. The Bible even describes that his angelic being, that his frame was comprised of, included precious gems that just kind of decorated his very being. So much so that Isaiah says that on account of his beauty, pride filled his heart and he rebelled against God. And Revelation 12 says that when he rebelled against God, he took a third of the angels with him in this attempted coup against God. It wasn't that Satan simply envied God. It was that Satan wanted to be God, had a desire to be God himself. Pride fills his heart. It's the first sin of the universe. Adam and Eve was not the first sin of the universe. The rebellion of Satan in heaven was the first sin of the universe. And when Satan rebelled against God, God kicked him out of heaven. Jesus even said in Luke ten eighteen, I saw Satan fall like lightning to the earth. And when God kicked Satan out of heaven, along with the third of the angels who rebelled with him, which is an innumerable amount, we don't know how many that represents, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, who knows? But those fallen angels now became known today as demons. And Satan is leading a parade of demons, and earth is his playground. He's kicked out of heaven, comes to earth, and then he deceives Adam and Eve with the same pride that entered Satan's heart. That you can be better than you are, and you can achieve greatness, and so take and eat of the fruit. The fruit that God had said to Adam and Eve, if you eat of it, you shall surely die in that day. Meaning the dying process begins. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God, because they literally took the bait that Satan offered, and pride and arrogance and rebellion filled their hearts, the human race became tainted. And therefore, then, as descendants of Adam and Eve, our human race has now been tainted. All of us are born into sin. The Bible says there there are none righteous, no, not one. We have inherited a sinful nature because of the initial rebellion that was of our forefathers. And it was transferred by the seed of man into every human heart. We are deceived and wicked. And the Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things who can know it. Okay, And this is the reason why God sent His Son Jesus to die on a cross for us, was to redeem us from our wickedness and our sinfulness that we might be forgiven and go to heaven when we die. All right, now in three minutes, I just took you through 2,000 years of human history. But that's what happened, okay? And Satan is kicked out of heaven, he's expelled from heaven, and earth becomes his playground. And he is on a mission to destroy every single one of us. He hates us, and he doesn't want any good for us. He is only intent on coming to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his main mission. He wants as many people to go to hell with him. Okay? He has been disarmed by the cross, but not defeated. Defeat for Satan is when he is eventually thrown into the lake of fire. For now, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And he has his target set on Job. Satan appears before God, and God engages him in this dialogue. This is only the second time in the Bible that we hear Satan speak. The first time was in the garden when he deceived Adam and Eve. And what we learn, though, from this interaction here is that, for those of you who like to take notes, is that Satan has limited access to God in heaven, 
but he cannot present himself without permission from God. So even though he was expelled from heaven, he has some limited access. We see it happening right here in Job chapter 1. And in, in, in this scene here, when he's presenting himself to God, God basically says to him, where have you been? What have you been up to? And Satan answers in verse 7, the last part of verse 7, he says, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Meaning, he says, I've been looking for someone to harm. I mean, that's his main ambition. And God says in verse 8, have you considered my servant Job? Now, this is where this gets difficult here because it looks almost like God is throwing Job under the bus. Have you considered my, you, you want somebody to harm? Have you considered my servant Job? Now, you know, when you read this and you get the understanding of what transpires here when God gives Satan permission, some limited permission, to actually attack Job, it does make you pause and say to yourself, Dear Jesus, please don't give Satan my address. Do you know what I'm saying to you? Because that's what's happening here. And, and lest we misunderstand what is going on, I don't want you to think that God is throwing Job under the bus. Here's what is really happening. And again, we need the broad view of the book of Job. So here it is. There is suffering in this world. There is heartache. There are tragedies and trials and difficulties that people go through. Some unimaginable. All right? What is happening here is that God has selected a man of incredible character and integrity whom God knows will pull through this eventually because of God's help who will then end up serving to be an example for all of us who will follow Job, who go through terrible times of suffering. Because in the midst of his suffering, Job never loses his integrity. He never blames God. He never gets angry. He is a remarkable man who in the face of horrible suffering still clings to God. And he serves as an example to all of us who in our lifetime may experience some suffering ourselves. That's the reason this book is included in the Bible. It's for our benefit. It's to say, here, this is how God saw a man through the realities of suffering of life. In fact, James, when he would write his epistle, uses Job, mentions Job as that very example. In, jo in James chapter 5, verse 10, he said, Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So it's not that God is throwing Job under the bus. What he's saying is, I'm choosing a man of complete integrity here because he will serve as an inspiration to people who will follow in the years and millennium to come, who will also go through suffering so that they might take heart from the example of Job. That's the reason why it is included to us. Now, back in the story here, so Satan presents himself, and God says again in verse 8, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And Satan basically responds by saying this, God, the only reason why Job is such a really swell guy is because you've been blessing him all his life. And if you'd stop blessing him and being so good to him, the moment he loses everything in his life, because you take your hand away from him and the hedge of protection off of him, he'll curse you to your face, God. God's unmoved by it, all right? He's not moved. He's not persuaded by it. And so um, what we also learn from this interaction here, second point, 
is that Satan has limited access to people on earth. He cannot harm someone without permission from God. You need not worry that Satan is going to harm you or your kids or take away all your stuff because Satan has limited access to people and he cannot harm you without first getting permission from God. Jesus substantiates this also in Luke 22. As we read the book of Job, we can't help but be overwhelmed by the pain of Job's story. Job was a righteous man, yet God allowed him to endure tragedy upon tragedy, taking Job to the bottom of existence. Job's friends and even his wife encouraged him to turn away from God, yet Job remained faithful to his Creator. Through every trial he faced, Job kept his eyes fixed on God, and God rewarded him for it. His story now stands as an inspiration for us as we too endure hardship. God knows what you face today, and He is by your side. He's providing the strength you have to keep moving forward and is wrapping His arms around you in comfort. We may not know what God's plans are, but like Job, we can trust that He's in control. We'd love to pray with you as you move forward in your own life circumstances. Please give us a call at 703-771-1500. You can also connect with us on social media by visiting our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Find links to all of these at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're so happy you tuned in to Cornerstone Connection today. May God bless you richly today for your faith in Him. Pastor Gary's teaching and Job will resume next time right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.